I'd like to ask you this morning to open your Bibles, your hearts, and your mind, your ears to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Last week we considered the idea that the lateness of the hour uh, or the closer we come to the return of Christ, that that is a uh, reason to work and not an excuse to wait and just do nothing. We want to kind of follow along that same idea uh, this morning uh, by understanding a parable that Jesus is going to tell us from the Gospel of Luke chapter 19 beginning in verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. Now notice this next phrase. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. And he called his ten servants and he delivered them ten pounds or minas, if you will, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him or a delegation after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the, uh, the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, uh, in a very little, have thou an, uh, authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man that takest up that, uh, takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant, Thou, know, uh, thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up what I had not uh, laid down, and reaping that which I had not sown. Wherefore then, givest not thou my money into the bank, that it, at my coming I might have required mine own with usury or interest. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which stood not that I sh or would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. We have come to understand the Greek word for parable is para and bole, from balo, 
The word para means alongside. Thus we have parallel lines that run alongside of each other. The word balo is the uh, Greek verb to cast or to throw. So when you put para and balo together, you have something that is cast alongside of something else. And that's what a parable is. Jesus would use parables as illustrations and as teaching moments. And generally, all, or not generally, always it would come from some experience of life that the people could uh, uh, readily uh, understand and, and, and they could relate to. Often he would use that of maybe fishing or that of, of, of gardening and growing fig trees or grapevines. Uh, other times he would use that of a family and, and raising a child and things of that nature. And so he would use things that was very, very common to the main, uh, everybody. And, and it would be a physical story, but for those that were spiritual-minded, they would see the physical life experience that was real, and then they would search out that spiritual truth that was cast inside of it. Jesus tells a parable here. Say, well... This hasn't got anything to do with things that would happen normally as far as farming or fishing or things of that nature. But this is exactly a real-life experience that had happened in this nation just a little earlier. Let's go back and, and, and remind ourselves. Basically, the story surrounds uh, a, a nobleman, a king, who leaves and goes to receive his kingdom and he, as he is gone, he tells his servants to occupy until he comes. So he travels to receive his kingdom. And when he gets back, having his kingdom given to him and bestowed upon him, he asks for a recollection of those that were his servants. And he finds out that there were those that were his enemies as well. And so that's the earthly story. And I say that this is something they would have known because uh, we may not know it, but just a few years earlier than this, uh, Rome had set up a ruler in Israel. The ruler's name was Herod. As Herod was wanting to, uh, as Herod came to the end of his life, he was wanting to make sure that the Herodian or the dynasty of Herod continued beyond him. Now, here's a law about receiving the authority to be a king over. If you were being set up as a ruler, a governor, or king in a Roman province, you could not be bestowed that honor in that province. You had to go back to Rome to have that bestowed upon you. All right, does that make sense? If I am going to be the governor in Jerusalem and it is under Roman authority, I cannot become governor of Jerusalem without going back to Rome and letting Rome put that upon me. Herod could not pull this off on his own. He had to send his son back to Rome. This is all bore out in secular history. So Herod wants a dynasty. He wants his sons to continue. So he has one, same, one son who is named Archelaus. Now Archelaus, you are to become the, the ruler in this, this territory and continue my dynasty. But you can't become ruler in this area without going back to Rome. So he has to go to Rome in order to receive his kingdom. 
Now, if you remember in this story that Jesus tells, there is a delegation that is sent behind Archelaus, and they're going to complain, we don't want Archelaus to be our governor. We don't want him to rule over us. Secular history tells us why. Before he went to receive his kingdom, already having some authority and power just by right of being Herod's son, he had murdered several uh, hundreds of the Jews just because he could. So the Jews did not want this bloodthirsty son of a paranoid Herod to rule over them. So they sent a delegation following Archelaus. And when Archelaus gets to Rome, there's this delegation that comes shortly after him that's pleading with Rome, do not let this guy rule over us. Rome allows Archelaus to rule over him anyway. And so he comes back home. And the, the command from Rome is, you can rule, go back home, but you have got to get this thing under control. Obviously, the people do not like you. We will give you a window of time to get things settled down and smoothed down there. He came back, and his cruelties continued, and he put many more to a senseless uh, death for no reason at all. And so Rome eventually removed him from power. But as Jesus told this story, there's not a person there that was not familiar about how all this worked. This makes perfect sense to them. They had just seen this happen with Archelaus. So here was a physical story, and for those that had the spiritual ears, they would not only think about Archelaus, but they would know that Jesus was teaching a lesson for them to understand in the spiritual realm. And that's why I stress in verse 11 that you pay attention why Jesus told this. Jesus told this parable for two reasons. What was the first one? Because he was drawing close to Jerusalem and, and was soon going to make the trip there. If you go back chapters, a few chapters, you'll find out that Jesus has turned his face to Jerusalem knowing that his time had come and he is heading that direction. And he's let it be known he's going to Jerusalem. And so as he draws near Jerusalem, the second reason comes into play of why he tells this. They think, oh, our Messiah is going to Jerusalem to do what? Run Rome out of town. That's what our Messiah is going to do. And Jesus perceiving that they thought since he was moving to Jerusalem that he was going to establish that kingdom. They did not at this point, not because they didn't have the information, but they did not understand the physical kingdom was not coming until later. He was there to develop the spiritual kingdom. So since everybody believes he's going to run Rome out of town, he tells them this story. And for the one that had the spiritual mind, they would understand this. Jesus is going to take a long journey to another land. When he gets there, the kingdom is going to be bestowed upon him. The right to rule is going to be granted unto him. When he gets that right, he is going to return. And when he returns, there's going to be an accounting. And that's why Jesus said the rich man spoke to these guys and told them, Occupy until I come. There are a lot of people that 
confuse this parable of the minas with the parable of the talents that Jesus tells in the book of Matthew. However, if you remember that, that parable that Jesus tells, if not, go back and read it later today, but there are several indications that tell us that this is not the same story, it's not the same parable, and that it's told for a different reason. For one thing, the settings are different. Luke has this parable that we're reading now being told in Jericho, while Matthew's a parable about the talents is told in Jerusalem. The audience differ. Luke has these remarks made in front of a large crowd, while Matthew's parable uh, uh, of, the of the talents is only with his disciples. Luke has a number of unique details, including an additional remark in the setting that notes that the delay of the consummation and a note about the citizens and the emissaries sent to protest the king's selection. Matthew has a businessman. Luke has a king. Matthew talks about three servants. Luke talks about ten. And here's the, some of the most important. In Matthew, the servants are giving the talents based on their abilities. If you remember in Matthew, Jesus said, I'm going to give you ten talents. I'm giving you five talents. I'm giving you one talent. And Matthew records that the, the businessman did that because he knew of man's ability. This is an important point. Please catch this. In Luke's parable that we're studying this morning, there are ten servants they're all given the same mina one mina each what they had they had in common and they had in equality so there is a difference and we'll talk a lot more about that in just a moment the difference in the value in the parable of the talents in Matthew you're talking about an amount that is an exceptional amount of money while in minas it's a much less denomination of money the rewards are different. There can be no mistake this is a different parable and that it is told to teach a little bit of a different lesson. Jesus says, Occupy till I come back. I'm going to receive a kingdom. There is another reason and I realize that some still do not agree with me, not necessarily in here. I don't know. I've not heard many of you say what you think about it. But you hear me talk a lot about I am convinced that the rapture is going to take place at least middle of the week at the very earliest. And at least, if not, even a little bit later. This parable is part of those reasons. You see, Jesus is going to a far country to receive a kingdom. This has taken place after his crucifixion and his ascension to the Father. He is ascending to the Father to receive his kingdom from the Father, of which then he will come back. Now, we've been studying in the book of Revelation, and we found out what event is going to give him the title deed, the right to rule this kingdom. That event takes place when Jesus goes to the Father's right hand and he takes that scroll that's written on the front side and on the back side and is sealed with seven seals and Jesus cracks open seal one, seal two, seal three, seal four, seal five, seal six, seal seven and with the cracking open of those seven seals he has just opened his title deed to his kingdom. That happens in the middle of the week. 
All right? And after that middle of the week is when he comes back then, having the right to rule his kingdom. The Bible makes it very plain. Right now, our world is the kingdom of another God. A God whose greatest desire is to blind the eyes of men to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's the God of this world. But be, be known that there is a day coming in the glorious kingdom of, uh, of God's heaven where there's going to be a cry that is made, who can take the title deed of earth out of the Father's right hand and reclaim this kingdom? And after a search is made, there will be shedding of tears, John said, because no one was found. And finally, there is a voice that says, don't cry any longer, John. We have just found the lion of the tribe of Judah. We have just found the lamb slain upon the cross. We have found the root of the kingdom of David. And John, Brother John, know this, that Jesus is worthy to reclaim earth. And so he goes and he takes the title deed. At that moment is when he receives his kingdom. And then he's going to come back. He's going to come back to see what we've done during this time. The story is told of ten servants. And it's also told of a group of citizens. There are the citizens who hate the king. In the physical story, Archelaus goes to Rome to have the kingdom bestowed upon him. And there is this group of people that follow because they hate Archelaus. They don't want to submit to Archelaus. They do not want Archelaus to rule over them. And so they follow and they say, we don't want this guy. And Rome understands that if we don't want this guy, then there's always going to be a problem. For if you don't want this guy, then you're not going to find any peace in the land. Allow me to make a note here, and, and you may not agree with this, but I think we live in that exact situation in our world now. It doesn't matter who wins a presidency. One side or the other says, well, that's not my guy, and I don't want him ruling over me. And nobody seems to understand that what's important is the good of our nation and not the fighting of the sides. They go and they say, we don't want this guy. And Rome understands if they don't want this guy, then there's going to be nothing but trouble. And that's why they tell them, you can have the kingdom, but you better go and get it all under control and get things smoothed out or we will remove you. There are the citizens who hate. Now, you cannot make this parable walk on all fours. And what I mean by that is you can't say, well, this happened, and so this had to have happened. This happened in the physical story, so it had to happen in, this, in the spiritual story. There is not a delegation as far as of men that arrive before God and say, well, we don't want this man. But make no mistake about it, there are citizens of this world who do not want him over their lives. Look at churches today. 
where people want Christ to rule over their lives because they know that when he rules over our lives, our lives are better, our houses would be full. But there are citizens that say, we don't want this guy. We don't want him. And many of them say, well, it's not that we just don't necessarily want him. We don't want anybody. We'd rather just rule over ourselves. I don't want to spend much time on the citizens that hate him, but I'd rather talk about the two different groups of servants. You see, there are the servants who love and surrender to the king, and then there are what Jesus himself calls slothful servants whose love and surrender are now called into question. As Luke records the story, Jesus talks about these ten servants and that each and every one of them are given one mina each. I want you to understand something with me this morning. Jesus calls his servants, and unlike Matthew's parable of the talents where Brother Randy's given ten because he has these talents, and Brother Charles is given five because he has these five, and Brother Jeff's only given one because his talents are only that he can handle one. Instead of that, in this parable, Jesus says, here's your minor, 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 and the minor is the same for every one. It's not, here's a minor if you're above the age of 20, and here's a minor if you're below the age of 60. It's not a minor if, if, if you're highly educated. Or here's a minor if you're really highly motivated. It's not, here's a minor for you if you are uh, fairly wealthy. Or here's a minor for you if you're not wealthy. The minor is true for every servant in the kingdom. There, listen, I understand we all have gifts. The Bible makes that very, very plain. Some have this gift, some have that gift. But what Jesus is talking about, there is a particular thing that has been given to every single servant in the kingdom. In other words, if you are a child of God, you've been entrusted with this mina. You know what the mina is? It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And the question is, what have you done to invest it lately? It's the same for anybody. And it's the one thing that we all have in common. You know this to be true. I can listen to Brother Brian sing just about any time. I listen to myself singing. I'm telling you, it ain't the same thing. He has that ability that I don't have. I listen to other guys preach and think, man, I wish I could preach that good. Some have better talents and more talents than this and that and the other. But in this story, every single servant is given the same thing, a mina. And the only thing that we all have in common is our salvation and the message that brought us salvation. And Jesus says here, if you are my servant, if you are a citizen who is as a servant in my kingdom, I'm giving you the message. I've entrusted it to you. I'm going to receive this kingdom by taking it back when I open the title deed. When I get that, I'm coming back here, and I'm going to ask you, did you invest that mina? 
And I'm looking that you have turned that one minor into ten, into five. But hear him well. He says, if you still got just one minor, you are a slothful, which means lazy, wicked servant. Jesus says, as he's telling the story here, he tells that there are the servants that did five, uh, ten and five. And then he says there is another servant. Another servant. You've heard me say time and time again, there's two different Greek words for another in the, in, in the Greek language. One is another of the same kind, and the other one is another of a totally different kind. It is the latter one that he uses to describe the slothful another servant of a different kind but pay attention to this I understand there are a lot of guys that say well this is not really a servant at all this guy is lost John MacArthur I love him to death I read a lot of his stuff but he thinks this guy is lost many people do but Jesus didn't say here's a guy that's not really a servant he says here is a guy who is a servant in my kingdom but he's not like the servant that made five or ten and I think it's time that we understand that every time we see something that is said negative about a lazy Christian that we quit saying oh well he never really was saved and we need to come to grips with the truth and the reality that sometimes God's people get lazy slothful and we don't invest the mina but understand this my friend the king is going to get his kingdom and he's going to come back and he's going to look us dead in the eye just like he did Peter whenever Peter said that he was going to, whenever Peter denied the Lord, and he's going to look at us and he said, did you invest my mina? Did you invest my gospel message into the hearts and the lives of others? Or did you sit around and do nothing? Wrapped it all up in a pretty little handkerchief and hide it away. Because Jesus said, you're a servant, but you're a servant of another kind than the ones that have labored. You're a slothful, lazy servant. A couple years ago, I started really stressing to our younger families. Their commitment was not what it should have been. We couldn't count on them. And they've stepped it up. But you know what they're doing now? They're looking around for the rest of the church family to get there with them. I'm just being honest with you guys. If this is my last sermon, then, then it has to be. But I'm telling you, they're looking around, waiting on the rest of y'all to join them. They are meeting regularly, talking about what can we do to reach this community. We have talked about having prayer services. We've started a 930 prayer meeting the young families are coming every Sunday. I sent out two weeks ago a, a, a plea to have a special service next Sunday night, an Ebenezer service. I've had three people reply, and I needed six, and they're all three young families, and the older adults are not pitching in. Guys, I'm telling you, it has become a matter of life and death. This is not a job for the young. It's not a job for the preacher. It's not a job for the deacons. It's not a job for this one. It's not a job for that. Jesus said, I have ten servants, and it's a job for all ten of them, and I gave every one of them the same thing. I gave them a mind, and I said, go to work. 
occupy till I come. I challenge you sometime to look up this word occupy. I did, and I had it on the PowerPoint this morning, and something went haywire on my PowerPoint, and I was so aggravated because I wanted you to see this. Occupy, the number one definition, to engage the attention or the energies of. To engage the attention or the energies of. That's what occupy means. The number two definition is to take up a place or space. Those are two different uh, uh, definitions, aren't they? The second occupy is this. I'm taking up a place. I'm taking up a time. I'm taking up a space. But the first occupy is working and doing to engage my attention and my energies. This word engage, uh, this word occupy, does not mean for us to sit around and wait. But it has the idea to work, and I can prove that to you, because the word that Jesus used is the word that we get our English word pragmatic from. I looked up the word pragmatic, and there's, again, several different definitions. But one of the definitions is business-like. No nonsense, business-like. In other words, not goofing off, not playing around, not taking it lightly, but very seriously, very business, no nonsense. I understand I have a job to do, and I'm going to focus and buckle down and get the job done. That's the word Jesus uses. I've given you a minor. I'm going to come back and ask you how much you've invested it. And there's going to be an accounting And there's going to be some children of God that's going to say, Lord, here's the mina you gave me, and I've invested it, and here's ten more as proof. Others are going to say, well, Lord, you gave me a mina. You gave me the gospel, and I invested it, and here's five fruits that has been harvested. But there's going to be children of God, servants. And they're going to say, man, I've had my... I've had my gospel message, and man, I've, 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 I went and I got my cleanest, most beautiful. I even embroidered a cross on it, and Jesus saves, and, and, and boy, it's so beautiful. And I wrapped my mind up in it, and I tucked it away in my drawer. Can you not see them standing there thinking they're so proud of what they've done? Oh, isn't this, Lord, isn't, this is beautiful, isn't it? And the king looks at him and says, you lazy, you lazy, unprofitable servant. I didn't give you that mina to hoard and to keep to yourself. Faith Missionary Baptist Church, would we understand this morning that Christ did not give us the gospel message of Jesus Christ just to hold on to. But he gave it to us to share. Jesus was headed to Jerusalem and everybody thought, ah, he's going to get his kingdom. So Jesus told the story to explain to them, no, the kingdom's not coming. I haven't been given the kingdom yet. I've got to go to the Father and get the kingdom. And then I'll come back and we'll establish the kingdom. 
And that's the point of the parable. But kind of as a sub-point is this. While I'm gone to go get the, par- the, go get the kingdom, here's my mina. It's not a bird, but it's the gospel. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to expect that when I do, I will find that you've invested. You've invested it. This parable, then, is given to teach, partly to teach, the responsibility in the kingdom. That usefulness in God's kingdom is not just for a small group. I'm afraid we find ourselves living in a time where we treat working in God's kingdom kind of like... going on a a bus tour somewhere. There's only a few people that drive the bus and lead the tour, and everybody else just rides on the bus. We don't need a few people to drive. We need everybody on the bus to go to work. This is also a parable then about How much do you surrender to this king of yours? Which is a direct reflection on how much do you love this king of yours? I'm going to prove that to you very quickly in the Gospel of John. After Jesus is crucified, before his ascension, he's resurrected, but before he ascends, Peter has said, guys, I'm done with this being a disciple. I thought we were going to get a kingdom. We didn't get a kingdom Uh, Our lives have been in danger. Jesus is dead. Uh, I'm done with this. I'm going back to something that is more comfortable, something that I can count on, something that I understand. I'm going back to fishing. So he goes back and he gets in his boat. And unfortunately, and and mark this, several others say, well, yeah, it makes sense to me. So they follow him. When you and I don't work, others follow. If you and I will go to work, others will follow that as well. So he goes back, and he gets back in his boat, and he's back out there fishing. Jesus appears on the shore, and he says, Hey, y'all catching anything? No. Well, cast out your net again. And so they drug it back in, and they caught so many fish, they didn't know what to do with it. And John immediately, I mean, uh, Peter immediately realized who it was, and he jumped out of the ship, and he swam to shore. And when he got there, Jesus had built a fire and he had bread and fish baking at the fire. And he asked this question to Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, there's a lot of argument about what the these are. Some think that these are the other disciples. Do you love me more than the other disciples? I think he's talking about, do you love me more than these fish that you've turned your back on me to go back to catching? Do you love me more than these And the discussion ensues between back and forth between Peter using different words for love and so forth. But every time Jesus said, Peter, if you love me, then you will surrender to me and that will be proven how you will feed my sheep. You will go to work. You'll labor for me. 
So not because I say so, but because the Bible says so. Our king's coming back, and when our king comes back, he's going to look at us and he's going to say, I gave you a mina. I gave you the gospel message. Yes, I know you lived in a dangerous time. Yes, I know you lived in a difficult time. Yes, I know that the foundation of, of, of the American people is different than it was back then. I understand all of those things. Yes, I get it. It's, it's, it's an evil, wicked day. Yes, it's getting close to the end. I get all that. But the truth is, I gave you a mina. And as we studied Paul's writings, the word of God cannot be bound. Paul can be bound, but the word of God cannot be. So what did you do with it? Did you invest it? And in reality, what he's going to be able to ask you then is, if you didn't do anything with it, then you didn't surrender to me. If you didn't surrender to me, it's because you don't have the love for me that you ought to. Because he said, Peter, do you really love me? If you loved me, you would do this, and you would do this, and you would do this. How do we occupy till he comes? We occupy be, by being a pillar and a ground for the truth. Our world needs some place to sound out truth. Part of our occupying is to be here and to sound out truth even when truth is not popular. We occupy by sounding out truth when truth is not accepted. We occupy by sounding out truth when it makes people hate us. But we sound the truth. That's part of occupying, being a pillar and a ground of the truth. But y'all, part of occupying is what Jesus said. Go ye into all the world, preaching, teaching, making disciples, baptizing, teaching them all the things. Occupy does not mean make sure that your pew has your body in it at least a couple, three times a week. Having said that, if we can't occupy our pew regularly, <laughs> we're probably not going to be very good at occupying out there either. I don't know. I, I hope you understand. There's been no anger in this. There's no, there's, there's no other than I just care about this church and I care about the kingdom of God. And, and, and I, it dawned on me here a while back that I had called out, so to speak, the younger, the younger group and, and told them, guys, y'all are going to have to step it up. And to their credit, it took a while, but they did. But if you don't think that it saddens their heart that every Sunday morning they meet in there to pray for this church and for the Sunday services and they look around and it's nothing but the younger group that, that has a heart that is burdened enough. When they look around and it's only their, their younger group that come to the altar and they're praying because they're concerned about the future of our church and the future of the kingdom work of God. And they, they are talking about what can we do? If visitation don't work, what can we do? And they're not seeing our older group step up and come with them and say, listen, we need to, as one family, as one body, we need to get to work. Work. Not play. Not rest. Not occupy and just wait hunker down and hold on 
work till Jesus comes. For night is coming when man's work is done. Not work because, or work until I retire, and now that I'm retired, I'm done. Not work once I reach the age of, uh, of, of 30 and I've gotten through some of my early years of life. But work because I am a servant in my king's kingdom. He has given me a mina, the same mina that he's given everybody else. And he's gone a long way to receive the authority to rule that kingdom. And he's coming back and he's going to look me dead in the eyes one of these days. And he's going to say, Jeff, I gave you a mina. And the records reflect that you invested it. So you have done well, servant, and I'm going to reward you in the millennial reign and you'll rule over cities. Or the king's going to come back with the authority to rule and he's going to say, Jeff, I gave you a mina and the records show you didn't do anything. You didn't invest it. Yeah, you went to church a lot. You sang songs a lot. You showed up and helped them do leaves when they had leaves out in the parking lot. You showed up and helped them fix this or do that. When the commode was stopped up one day, you said you'd take care of it, and you went and did that. But, Jeff, I'm talking about the mina that I gave you. Did you invest it into people? And the records, if they show that I've not, faithfully he's going to look at me and say Jeff you're slothful you're lazy you're unprofitable to me can you imagine the pain of the one who died to give you an eye life the one who worked the whole time until night came and work no longer was uh, an open door to him as far as his life here. But faithfully worked when it was hurtful, when it was painful, when he was alone, when he didn't feel like working, he worked. And he didn't say, well, it's about time my younger disciples kick you in a little bit. Or he didn't say, well, I'm too young or I'm too old. He worked. Can you imagine the one who has done this looking at us and saying, you're lazy. I don't know about you, but the one thing my daddy instilled in me, boy, you may get grown up and get called a lot of things, and that's about the way my daddy would say it. He was pretty country. You may get grown up. That's about what he would say. You may get grown up, and you may get called a lot of things. And he actually said, you're probably going to be called stubborn because you took after your daddy. You're going to get called this and you're going to be called this. But one thing my daddy taught me is, don't you dare live a life that would allow people to say, that boy's got a whole lot of quit in him. That boy's lazy. My daddy raised me. You, you're not to be lazy. Our father saved us not to be lazy. Father, we come to you today. I... I know that probably there are those that 
felt like I may have pushed a point too far. And, and, and you know, Lord, that I have prayed long and hard all week. And I've begged and pleaded that you would help me not to say anything I didn't need to say, but yet say everything I needed to and to say, say, say it with the right heart, a right motive. Lord, I, I pray that we would understand. You see, in this parable that you told the disciples, you talked about the kingdom coming. And you used the word that it was, they thought that it appeared, and that's a nautical term that means you could look out on the horizon and you could see it. And they thought that because you were going to Jerusalem and they could look out on the horizon, they could see what they thought would be the kingdom, that it was right there. And you told them this parable to say, no, there's a, a span of time in which I've got to go and get the right to be the ruler of this kingdom. But Father, for us today, I, I believe we could use that word appear for your kingdom as it is on our horizon and it's drawing closer and closer and closer and closer. God help us. Forgive me if I've spoken in error or in any other reason other than love and, and trying to be an under-shepherd to your sheep, Father. God, please help us today to get serious about sharing the gospel message. Work for the night is coming when man's work is o'er. As we stand and prepare for this verse of invitation, may your spirit guide, may your spirit move. And I pray, Father, that wherever we're at today, in a sound booth, at a piano, at an organ, behind the pulpit, in a pew, in a nursery, if they can hear, wherever we are, God, if you're dealing with our hearts, regardless of age, regardless of all else, Father, that we would respond today to the conviction of your Spirit. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.